This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hey everybody, it's Dan and welcome to our Thursday edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast, another free agency roundtable. And today we talk about five things the Browns should do next in free agency. Now, a little bit tricky here because we had a pretty long Rashard Higgins discussion right in the middle and it was before the news broke that Rashard Higgins re-signed with Cleveland on a one-year deal. So here's what I did. You're going to hear the first four and then... I just went ahead and took the Richard Higgins discussion and stuck it at the end because I still think it's interesting, you know, as far as like how Richard fits in the offense and all of that. And maybe it's a discussion we're going to have uh, on tomorrow's roundtable when we go through the depth chart. But I wanted to put uh, the Richard Higgins discussion because I thought it was interesting still in the pod. So that comes up at the end. Okay, here we go. Uh, Mary Kay Cabot, Doug Murray, Scott Patsko, Ellis Williams, and me, another free agent roundtable. We're off now on a Thursday, the NFL's league year. Eh, Not really off to an exciting start. We kind of knew everything. So we're going to talk about what we would like the Browns to do next. Scott, why don't you lead us off? What would you like to see the Browns do next? Or what would you do next? Well, geez, what I would do next and what I'd like to see the Browns do next might be two totally different things. What I think the Browns should do next, though, is target uh, nickel corner. Right now, MJ Stewart is the only guy you have uh, to play in the slot. Uh, Javier Thomas is a restricted free agent. And to my knowledge, they have not tendered him. So right now, it's MJ Stewart's job. Uh, Kevin Johnson is out there as an unrestricted free agent. And we've talked a lot about them possibly re-signing him. Uh, MJ Stewart, though, he, he basically got the same amount of snaps he did previous two years with the Buccaneers. Spot three, between 300 and 350. Had his worst graded season of his career. He graded at 44.8. He actually had the lowest coverage grade of any uh, cornerback on the Browns last season. Now, he did – there were about, what, five games where he played a significant amount of snaps, like 25 or so. And he did have three interceptions in those games. But if you remember the wild card game, the Browns really picked on him. 12 – 15 targets, 12 catches, three touchdowns against him. You know, I guess it's possible he could make a jump and maybe the Browns saw something they really liked. And uh, and he's the guy they go into the season with at the top of the depth chart. But it seems to me that's that's a spot where they're going to want to bulk up a little bit, even though we've talked also about how, you know, three safeties. You can see a lot of three safeties on the field and all the guys they have there are versatile and they can play in the slot. There are going to be some receivers that they just don't want to match up with uh, with a safety. So I think doing something about nickel corner would be a good next move because there's still guys out there 
who could fit that role. That, that's my vote. That was going to be mine too, Scott. So. <laughs> but um, so and that's I, why I went first. I know. Good for you. I, I will have a backup plan. But there was one that uh, that Dan had talked about during the season, and I talked about as well. And t- and I uh, mentioned in my uh, winning free agency little thing uh, was Brian Poole. I mean, I I think that he would be an excellent choice. And uh, the Browns are now at that point of free agency where you're catching the guys on the second wave and some bargains can be found uh, from here on out. If you haven't gotten your, your big uh, contract yet, chances are you, you might be looking at a one-year prove-it deal or some other kind of grab whatever you can get kind of a thing. So, uh, so he's somebody that I think that they could look at. There is another interesting name out there that I have been talking to people about a little bit, and that's Kwan Williams. Uh, and he was the former Browns cornerback. The problem with Kwan is that, that he still has, and I think I put this to, out to our subtexters today, I believe I did, is that he has a pending grievance against the Browns. It's an arbitration for, a, for an ankle injury that happened uh, back when he played here. So therefore, I, I don't know if it completely takes him off their board, but it, it certainly doesn't help matters. The way that it was put to me yesterday was that he's probably not an option because of that. If that changes, he's a heck of a player. And, and you know, he would be somebody that, you know, that, that they might want to take a look at. But that could be a deal breaker. Can I ask a uh, slot corner, nickel corner question at this point? Because a couple of us had Mike Hilton who signed with the Bengals left the Steelers as a slot corner on our winning free agency list. But as we have talked about the whole three safety thing, as Scott brought up, I have wondered about this because, okay. So Scott, you said there are going to be some receivers where they would still want a slot corner on that. Is that 60 B's on the field? Then are you taking one of these three great safeties that you believe in off the field in favor of a nickel corner. I know that you have talked about how uh, John Johnson is really good covering tight ends, but Grant Delpit coming down and, and being like a nickel corner. A lot of the time, like, isn't that possible? Mike, like if they have five defensive backs on the field and greedy and Denzel are at outside corner, are you paying a nickel corner to be on the field instead of one of the safeties? And maybe it's instead of Harrison. And I guess, I guess maybe the answer is yes, but I have wondered if maybe the three safeties lessen the need for this, at least compared to a year ago for the Browns. So I, I'm curious about the scheme and how the roster fits together with that. We haven't seen Grant Delpit in the NFL yet, so we don't really know how he's going to react to those situations. It's possible that Joe Woods is confident enough in his safeties to, to do that to roll them out into the slot and kind of go with that. But you still need, I think you need an upgrade over MJ Stewart. And I'm not saying you need to go out and sign someone to maybe a deal, like a a bigger deal than you would have just because you don't have someone you think is starting caliber, but you need, you need somebody, I think to at least compete with MJ Stewart. I I just wouldn't be confident going into Training I'm not camp. disputing MJ Stewart. I, I don't want MJ Stewart covering anybody either. I'm yeah. asking if Grant Delpit is taking MJ Stewart's spot. You you think, and, and and I know some degree of all this discussion is how healthy is Grant Delpit going to be? And we know that. So there's a hedge. Let's say he's healthy. Do you think they need a slot corner in Joe Wood's system? Will that slot corner get a lot of snaps? 
if Grant Delpit's healthy. Would, would you want Grant Delpit covering Jarvis Landry? Would you want Ronnie Harrison covering Jarvis Landry? I don't think I'd want Ronnie Harrison. I'm not sure if I might want Grant Delpit. I, I don't know. So I guess if you're asking, are you thinking that your answer is no, and that in certain situations, and maybe a decent number of situations against certain teams, you're not going to have three safeties on the field because you're going to have two safeties, two linebackers, and three corners on the field. Well, you know what? I, I also think here, these guys talk a lot about this. Kevin Stefanski does. Joe Woods talks about this a lot. And the defensive backs coach talk about this. The versatility that they need from their defensive backs. And the lines will be blurred at times, whether you are a safety or a nickel corner or the, a big nickel safety or, or whatever the case may be. That's why they wanted a Grant Delpit that can do so many different things. That's why they're now talking about the versatility of John Johnson and the, the different roles that he can play. So I, I think that the, the lines will be a little bit blurred and there will be times and it'll be about matchups. It's going to be about matchups. You're going to, you're going to, if you're playing a team where you clearly have, you know, three wides, you know, then you might need more of a, a traditional nickel corner. If you're playing, you know, more, 12 personnel or 13 personnel or other types of situations, then maybe you're going big nickel, three safeties. So I think, I think the key for them is to get a really nice pile of versatile defensive backs that can, that can cover, that can tackle, that can grab interceptions, that can cover tight ends and do all of those things. And then game plan specifically for that week with those guys the best way that you can. There's a difference between if you think of your nickel corner as practically a starter versus uh, let's throw another corner in the mix, but I don't know how much we'll need him. It affects who you go after and how much you're willing to pay for them, which is why, I mean, I understand what you're saying, Mary Kay. They've got to add some people to the secondary here, but it just, uh, my, the interpretation of this, I think affects who you think they should get right now and how much you think they should spend on him. So Ellis, you and I threw out a name, a couple weeks ago, sort of in the Kevin Johnson vein, Troy Hill from the Rams. And we this goes back to that versatility thing. And I think Kevin Johnson is sort of a template for this. Kevin Johnson was brought here to play the slot, but also there was a chance before he lacerated his liver, he was competing to be the outside corner. He might've beaten out Terrence Mitchell for that job. I actually think he was kind of in the lead uh, before he, he got hurt in camp. I don't know if we if we saw the best of Kevin Johnson because of that, but the way I've looked at it and the way I put my, how the Browns win free agency post together, I avoided Mike Hilton and, and I avoided Brian Poole, even though I had mentioned him earlier in the off season, because those guys are pretty much exclusively slot guys. And I just wonder if the Browns want a guy who, yeah, maybe they're going to bring him in and put him in that slot position, but he can play outside too. guys that can kind of play in both spots. Yeah. If I could go back and rewrite, my how the Browns win for agency, I probably would have landed on that rationale that you have because the John Johnson signing, like Mary Kay pointed out, what was that already two days ago now? It feels like forever. It's been a <laughs> long week, as we all know. That signaled, as Mary Kay brought up, both a, a double dip, a guy that you can play, a guy you can count on, a guy who won't come off the field, and also serving as Grant Delpit insurance, right? So signing a guy who can play both inside and out takes care of 
both your initial slot corner need and then gives you some greedy Williams insurance just in case. And it, perhaps it's a fair question, which player needs a, a contingency plan more? The answer is both, which is why when we see names like, I don't know, you can fantasize about Richard Sherman all the way down to a guy like a Dory Jackson, who are primarily outside guys. I'm really just flipping your point, Dan, like avoiding the primarily nickel slot guys and avoiding the primarily outside guys and finding someone like Troy Hill who can do both because to Scott's point, I could not agree more. You do not want any three of the safeties on this roster covering an above average slot receiver. Asking that question about Jarvis Landry against any three of these safeties, I think is the exact way to put it. Ronnie Harrison can't do it. I'm teasing got to watch the tape here, but I'm going to have a little segment on why I don't think John Johnson can do it. I didn't, the the Rams avoided Tyler Lockett in the slot in man coverage all season when the Rams in Seattle played in the NFC championship game, even a guy like Alan Lazard being put in the slot, got the best of John Johnson, not in the fact that he got the ball, but when you watch the tape, he just simply got open in man coverage, a safety that can routinely lock down, an above average slot receiver quickly becomes like a top five safety in this league. And if Grant Delpit's that, well then Holy smokes, what a home run, but that's asking a lot of a rookie coming off an Achilles injury. You got to upgrade slot. I agree with Scott. And then Dan's point about Troy Hill makes a lot of sense. A guy who can do both. Cause then you can protect yourself outside too. And, and it's not just a guy like Jarvis. It's, you know, I'm thinking of a guy that just signed with Washington. Now the Browns wouldn't have to face him this year, obviously, but Curtis Samuel, yeah, exactly. Right. I mean, you don't necessarily want one of your safeties having to cover Curtis Samuel or, you know, when Juju came into the league, he thrived as a slot. I mean, he basically ended Brienne body Calhoun's fantastic story week one when they played the Browns. He was so good in the slot. You don't necessarily want your safeties covering those kinds of guys in the slot, especially those fast twitchy guys, I think can cause problems for safeties. And Ellis, you tweeted, uh, you know, John Johnson ran what, like a four, six, 40. So yeah, yeah. like he's those fast shifty guys. It, it could be an issue. Yeah. Like he's long and he can do it if need be, but it's just not your, shouldn't be your first option. And th- that's exactly it. Again, a safety that can do that is rare. It is, this is not an indictment on John Johnson at all. He's going to be a really nice player for the Browns, but Dan, to your point, it, that is just a really tough ask for any safety in this league to consistently stay in front of Curtis Samuel down the list to an above average slot. A couple numbers here real quick on slot coverage with uh, Harrison and Johnson. Harrison had 28 snaps in the slot last season. He was only targeted seven times, five catches, but passer rating of 55 against. So that's pretty good. Uh, Johnson, by the way, obviously I didn't look this up before I (laughs) had my big take here. 164 snaps in the slot for John Johnson last season, 88.6 passer rating against no touchdowns or, or picks in the slot. Now we don't know if that was a quote unquote true slot receiver, or if that was, you know, moving a tight end into the slot or who exactly he was, uh, either of those guys were matched up against, but you know, that's how they performed in the slot last season. Hey, it, wouldn't be a po- it wouldn't I- be a podcast without some news. Tavier Thomas, a guy we mentioned is going to the Texans. Are the Texans signing every below average player in the league at this point? That's their every strategy. Brown, every, every Brown, Brown. teamer. Every Brown special teamer is going to the Texans. Jack Easterby is going to pray him up down there and get him to go to the playoffs. <laughs> Cody Parkey's uh, on his way there right now. 
uh, the game I watched John Johnson, he was, I think he, he had a multiple assignments where he would have been characterized as playing the slot, but the slot was a stand-up tight end and he handled himself well, but he's, mm-hmm. it's not Jarvis Landry or Curtis Samuel. I, I think the bottom line, and I think this is basically the point that Scott was making right from the outset. I think you need to designate, you need to have that guy. You need to have a nickel guy. It's a very specific skill set. And as, as Ellis mentioned, those kind of guys, if you can do it, you make a lot of money for doing it. Or, I mean, it's just something that is very highly valued if you can do it. And I think that now last year they tried to get the job done with, with Kevin Johnson. It didn't quite work out the way that they wanted to, but I don't know. I think they'll find a role player kind of like Bill Belichick does in these types of situations. They'll find a role player. It might be a one-year guy. It might be a one-year contract, but I think they'll find somebody that can do just that when they need him to do that. So uh, this was my thing basically as well. So I'll jump in here too. I mean, it's, it's all the same conversation. We're all, a lot of us are on the same page. Kevin Johnson in 2019, before the Browns signed him, played twice as many snaps at outside corner than he did at slot corner. And they slot and they signed him sort of with the slot in mind. So I, w- I disagree a little bit with the idea that they have to target a slot guy only because I do think the next corner they sign or whoever they spend the next most money on at corner has to also be a greedy Williams hedge, just like John Johnson to some degree is a Grant Delpit hedge. I don't, how can you be 1000% sure that greedy Williams is going to play 16 games? I mean, you you can't. So my thing was going to be, you've got to get like a Terrence Mitchell, right? So that, okay, I'm fine with Terrence Mitchell leaving two years, 7.5. I think that's a little pricey for what the Browns would want him to be in at this age. But I'm very interested in like a third corner who maybe is what you guys are saying, like is your slot corner could also be outside if Greedy's not there, that I think that versatility would be really important because if you sign like a slot guy only that you don't trust outside, then then you have to go replace Terrence Mitchell. Like you have to replace Terrence Mitchell, I think. I don't think you have to sign Terrence Mitchell. I think you have to sign a Terrence Mitchell. So maybe there's one guy who's like half Terrence Mitchell, half Kevin Johnson but you've got to hedge on greedy, but maybe he can also be your slot guy. So I, f- I feel like I need to go here with mine. I feel, <laughs> like, I feel like we're going in this direction. Allison, I know you were going to say something. So if you no, would, I'm you just saying, I'm just saying we're, with me going last, we're going to get, we're, we're going to get to me way, way before I thought we would. Mine is different. <laughs> mine is different. But if we're really going to start talking about greedy Williams and hedging against greedy Williams, I'm going to go more than hedging against greedy Williams. I'm at least going to make a call on JC Jackson. The Patriots just put a second round tender on him. This guy is really good. As a, as a second corner, this guy is really good. Uh, you look at some of his, uh, you know, the grades on PFF aren't spectacular, but then you dig into some of the data and it's pretty incredible what he's done. His coverage grade last year, when in coverage, his rating against top 10 in the league, better than Richard Sherman, better than Denzel Ward, better than some of these guys. Now, he's probably going to cost you. The Patriots can match and keep him. If he signs here, you give up a second-round pick, but I don't think you're drafting someone better than J.C. Jackson with your second-round pick. He's 25 years old. That's the age age of the offseason for the Cleveland Browns is 25-year-olds. I would see what it would cost. I would would consider giving J.C. Jackson an offer sheet. I don't know if you're going double-digit millions on this and if the Browns would want to do that. Uh, That might be what a legitimate number two corner would cost you. 
But if, if you can get it done for a reasonable price and the Patriots don't match, I'd give up a second round pick for JC Jackson yesterday. I, I like the thinking. I really do like the thinking. And I saw that you put it, um, you shared that with our subtexters today. So they knew about yeah. this or yesterday when you're listening to this. Uh, so they kind of knew about this first and I like it. I like where you're going with it. And I do think that they need that kind of a player. And I think that you're exactly right, Doug, as well, that they do need somebody like to replace a Terrence Mitchell. You need an outside corner, not just to hedge your bet against greedy Williams nerve damage in his shoulder, but also because Denzel Ward has shown us so far that he misses about four games a season. So you are going to need someone who can start on the outside for you, maybe 16 games, maybe 12 games, maybe eight, but you're going to need that guy. So I like the idea of finding that guy somewhere. I like your thinking, Dan. I also know Bill Belichick well enough to know that he loves defensive backs and good ones. And if this guy is as good as what his numbers say, they're not going to let him out the door, but that doesn't mean you shouldn't try. And the, the price would be right. I mean, like you said, for a second for a second round pick, and of course it would depend on uh, the offer sheet and whatnot, but uh, for a second round pick, you know you'd be getting a sure thing. He's at the right age. So I think it makes a lot of sense. And, and now this would be, if you do this, Greedy Williams is your Terrence Mitchell. Mm-hmm. Which I think is okay. Yeah, like you need a Terrence Mitchell, make Greedy Williams a Terrence Mitchell. And if he's great, a great Terrence Mitchell, then great. I think that's smart, Dan. Okay, so I'm glad we landed here because we, I think, need to distinguish or I'll ask you guys if I'm off base here. But I think we're talking about two different positions. If Denzel Ward, Greedy Williams, and Terrence Mitchell were all healthy at the same time this year, Terrence Mitchell stops playing. Right. I, 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 right. So we're now back. I, I realize we have pivoted off Scott's initial question and are uh, on a, like a, a different extension of that, but either I'm not following or we are not distinguishing that the slot corner still then is left unaddressed. If you're either finding a Terrence Mitchell carbon copy jc jackson or someone else it's back to the the troy hill point because as i started this those i do not believe those three players would ever be on this the same field together unless something crazy happens like moving denzel inside but i i, I don't foresee that i said i want somebody who's part kevin johnson part terrence mitchell so I, that to me i don't know if he exists i was gonna say you're could... creating a heck of a <laughs> heck of a madden player he, he exists he was on the team in 2018 he's tj carey Someone like that who okay, has, that's who has I'm talking about. The slot yeah. and can move outside and you know can yeah. Do that both. I think he, he is your starting slot corner who's also your greedy hedge. And then of course, and you need somebody else who's your backup slot corner. I get it, but to your point, Ellis, they were pay, they were paying Terrence Mitchell not a ton, but a decent amount. That if Terrence, if Greedy and Denzel are both completely healthy, then he doesn't play. Now of course, nobody's ever completely healthy. He was way worth the money because of how much he had to to play but i understand what you're saying i but i just would like to smush them together so maybe yeah, which that's is basically too much to ask well that's basically a kevin johnson upgrade then right like TJ. exactly a, yeah kevin johnson positional fit who plays like terrence mitchell instead of playing like Got kevin it. johnson did last year here's the other thing uh, this is a team that has already demonstrated to us uh andrew barry has that they they're going to add a lot of bodies in the secondary 
So, you know, at the contracts and the prices that you can get them for, they, they might even end up signing, uh, re-signing Kevin Johnson. But in addition to, if you have a Terrence Mitchell sitting around with nothing to do, those guys also play special teams and are very valuable in that way. So I don't think these two things are mutually exclusive. I mean, it would be nice if you could find a guy that could absolutely 100% do both for you. And maybe they will find that guy, but there's no shame in finding a guy that can start six games for you on the outside and excel for you on special teams. And then also having a traditional nickel corner. So I, I don't think it has to be one or the other. Do we know if greedy can play on the inside at all? I don't think we saw anything in his rookie year to indicate that, but I just, no. I, I would be curious to, to know if he could play on the inside. I think Denzel could, if, if you got down to that and it's like, well yeah, now, think- okay, now in our nickel Denzel's inside and you have greedy and somebody else on the outside. I think that would work if you wanted to go that way. That would take some selflessness by Denzel. It's, it's a completely different world in there. Uh, Dan, I know you, you wrote about it two summers ago. Um, and I think he could do it. He'd be really, really good at it. Um, my mind's just racing with the possibilities there. It'd be, it'd be pretty exciting to see. I just wonder if that's not a spot, especially like if he got his money and then did it, that'd be one thing. But if he's trying to get paid like a number one outside corner, it, it, we might be getting some dicey territory. Curious. Can I also ask you, Dan, about the point you made about them like giving up the second round pick to do it, which I think like, do you think this front office would be comfortable doing that? Because I think it's a great point because, for instance, what's a second round pick? Well, a second round pick is like a greedy Williams who people thought was a first round pick and then fell maybe right with some medical questions that then turned out to be true. So sometimes it's like people don't want to give up picks. And it's like, man, if you got a sure thing, a young guy who's a sure thing, I, that, that intrigued me the most about what you're saying. Do you think this front office would actually do that? Possibly, just because it's such a low second round pick. You know, it's, it's in the 50s. What, what is it, 59, 58 or 59? Yeah. I, I was not, I was an English major. So yeah, 59. Uh, you know, so because they have extra thirds, potentially, you, you know, that gives them some ammunition if they wanted to trade up a little bit in the third round. I think they could do that. I don't know how likely it is just because again, it's going to cost you money. It is going to cost you that pick. And it's basically making the declaration Denzel Ward and JC Jackson are my starting corners period. And now we got to figure out what to do with greedy. We still have to add a slot corner. There's a little bit of a domino effect that just might be too much to take on with the money they have, but it would kind of, it would solve your cornerback position for the next few years. Yeah. I, I just think it'd be tough for Greedy Williams to get on the field if he's coming back from an injury, trying to prove himself, and then has competition in front of him. Not saying he should be handed the number two job, but man, maybe in a roundabout way I am because that he could get buried quite quickly there. Okay. Lots of cornerback discussion. We we timed that out perfectly. Me and Scott. Look at us. Both wanted to see a trade today at four o'clock, and now we both wanted to talk about the secondary. Let's take a break, and then we'll get to Doug and Ellis's next thing the Browns should do. Hey, it's Dan. We're going to take a quick break, and I'm going to tell you about Football Insider, where you can subscribe to get exclusive access to stories on cleveland.com slash Browns. You also get a newsletter every single day with exclusive content that's written by Mary Kay, Scott, Ellis, or me. It goes right to your inbox. That stuff doesn't show up anyplace else on the site. You get that every single day, including on the weekends. 
in your inbox. That's just for our Football Insider subscribers. And then there's our texting, where Mary Kay, Scott, Ellis, and I will text you throughout the day with news and analysis. We do Q&As. We answer questions. We have opportunities to come on the podcast and make picks. We do roundtables, all sorts of fun things with our texters, and we're going to start putting together some stuff for you to enjoy here in the offseason. So all you need to do is go to cleveland.com slash browns. There's a big blue banner at the top of the page. Click on that banner. Get all the information you need. Get yourself signed up and get yourself access to all of that exclusive content that we have available only for our Football Insider subscribers. I'm back on the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Okay, Doug, what should the Browns do next? So I kind of said my thing. My, mine was a corner thing too, but my other part of that was it's not really to a player and it's just lurk. Just lurk. You got some money compared to, you know, the most money, but you have some money. Like Mary Kay was talking about, the second wave is coming. We keep talking about some of the, okay, they still need a linebacker. I do think it's interesting that they are bringing back Malcolm Smith and we haven't heard anything on BJ Goodson yet. It's like you figured, okay, they're going to keep a veteran linebacker around. I don't know if this means that's the end of BJ Goodson because I don't know that you would bring back like practically the exact same linebacker room. I don't think that would make sense, but just lurk because they do have Ed Rusher. They could use some Ed Rusher, edge rusher depth, some linebacker depth, some corner depth. Yes. They'll address some of this in the draft, but they can't address all of it in the draft. So more is coming. So I don't know the names, but just hang out and be smart and wait for the guys who thought that they were going to get more money and then say, all right, I'll go to a team that's going to win the Super Bowl and make some good signings. Did anyone have Malcolm Smith in their How the Browns Win Free Agency? Or did we all have BJ? And I don't know if we all have BJ Goodson. But I had BJ Goodson. Doug, I, I did. Good. Yep. Um, he would have been my choice out of the options to resign. I, I would have picked him over Goodson. Malcolm Smith is like the forgotten man. You know what? I, I, went, I went with a younger coverage linebacker in, in Jayon Brown, but he went to he signed with somebody for on a one-year deal the titans i think wasn't it the titans, yeah he signed with, yeah. i think he signed with the titans on a one-year deal i have to wonder if the browns weren't in on it now i think the panthers were also in on him maybe well anyways i i, I think that there might have been a chance that the browns looked around for for another guy like that to perhaps possibly go a little bit younger but malcolm smith's rankings were really good as we know i mean he was 13th overall and seventh, I believe, in coverage, according to PFF. That's really darn good when you're talking about a coverage linebacker. So, I mean, it makes sense. It makes total sense. Now, he is heading into his 11th season, and he is 31, and that starts to get a little bit up there at that position. But I like it. I, I mean, I, I think he was good for the room, and I thought he was good in coverage. So I, I think it was, a, it was a good redo. I, I took that in a different direction. Ellis, you were going to say something. Yeah, um, quickly on the John Brown thing, Tennessee is resigning him. Um, I wanted to tweet today, how in the world did Malcolm Smith win a Super Bowl MVP? I thought that was a, a little unfair and perhaps negative on Brown's Twitter, so I stayed away from it. But that seeing that, when Mary Kay tweeted that, seeing ex-Super Bowl MVP next to his name just baffles me. I want to get back to Doug's point uh, about just lurking. Just some names I'm going to throw out there. Edge rusher-wise, Justin Houston, Jadavion Clowney, Melvin Ingram, Carlos Dunlap, uh, cornerback-wise, Patrick Peterson not available anymore, signing with the Minnesota Vikings, which is why I was making some weird faces. My phone's blowing up with Minnesota friends back home, but I'll digress. Uh, Casey Hayward, R Richard Sherman, 
linebackers, KJ Wright, Quan Alexander, the list goes on. Doug, I think it's a, it's a, it's a great point. They've got time to chill and let this see how it plays out. They've already had one guy take significantly less money to come here. And perhaps that becomes a trend because they are in a position to lurk now. I, I think it's, it's a great point. I mean, this is now where Andrew starts to make his, Hey, what did he do last year? He went and he got a bunch, a bunch of guys in the second wave and he found role players and he signed, signed them for the most part to one year contracts and they were sort of prove it deals. In fact, there's a trend with him going out and trying to find former first round picks who really do have something to prove, which is what Tack McKinley is uh, guys that were cast aside by usually their original teams and want to prove that they've got uh, something to, to live up to there. So, uh, so I think there will be plenty more guys like that out there. I would, I still like the, I'm still intrigued by like a Jadavian Clowney. I, I, I liked him last year when they thought about signing him. Now you can get him at a bargain basement price. I mean, he's coming off of an injury, so you just don't really know how he's going to be from a health standpoint, but I'd, I'd still be very intrigued by something like that. And I think we have to get accustomed to that. To be fair, we mostly play, praise Andrew Bear in this podcast. I'm not so sure about the batting average on some of those couple million bucks dudes last year, right? I mean, that, I'm not sure the lurking was great, right? Zendejo was a lurk. Joseph was a lurk. Goodson's a lurk. I mean, Smith wasn't because he was later in the year. Kevin Johnson was a lurk, right? Aren't those? That's sort of who we're talking about, right? And it's like, eh, okay, I guess Goodson's the best of that lot. So well, I would, I would maybe... Smith. But Malcolm Smith was like in August. Malcolm Smith yeah, wasn't now. Was Malcolm Smith was like part. a camp signing. Yeah. So, but that's different. That's a different, that's Lurk part two, the sequel. So like, this is, I don't know. I, I You're not going to bat a thousand with guys like that, obviously. And I think it's worth the risk, right? But I, I don't know that we've ever evaluated that, right? But I maybe he could have a little higher batting average on those guys this off season. Maybe. Well, you know what? I mean, like with Sendejo, the, the poor guy took so much grief, but I mean, he was not supposed to play that much. You know what I mean? Like he was the, the punching bag for everybody. The guy was supposed to be a rotational occasional player and then play a lot on special teams. And he was thrust into a role that was way overset. BJ Goodson. I thought he, for the most part, did what they thought he was going to do. He played his ro- role by uh, playing the run well that's what they kind of brought him in to do and knew that he would do well so I think those one year role playing sort of just a guy kind of contracts I think they for the most part they worked out okay and I I, I think it's an okay strategy the difference between this year and last year is last year they were lurking for some starters now they're it's more about depth because you know if, if best case scenario happens with a few positions on defense as far as coming back healthy then, you know, you have a, a lineup you can put out there and it's, you could argue that it's, you know, quite, it's a lot better in spots than it was last year. So you're, you're looking more for depth this time, uh, maybe outside of slot corner, but it's, it's, it's a bit different. They couldn't put this, a starting linebacker unit on the field right now. Could they, that everybody would be comfortable with? I mean, if it's Smith, Taki Taki and Mac Wilson are your top three linebackers, is anybody well, comfortable with that? It has to be Jacob Smith. and Phillips and Phillips. Jacob, and Jacob, Jacob Phillips. Phillips is Jacob. So that, so I forgot about him. Is everybody comfortable with that? Or do they need, is this like, well, they've got to draft somebody high or they have to sign a veteran or are they, you're okay with those four. Well, once again, most of the time you're only playing two. So you really only have to 
find the two best for the most part for each situation that you're in week to week, whatever two guys fit, you can rotate those guys in. So you don't really need to have three full-time excellent linebackers. And I think they've demonstrated to us that they, that's sort of how they seem to feel about it. I'm not super comfortable with it. (laughs) You know, I, we need to see more from Jacob Phillips and like Mary Kay said, Malcolm Smith is certainly on the wrong side of 30, by the way, that Super Bowl MVP thing. It's kind of like, you know, when you're the president, they always refer to you as the president or when you're the vice president, you always get referred to as the vice president. When you want a Super Bowl MVP, it doesn't matter. You're always, always ex Super Bowl MVP. So good on Malcolm Smith for that. I'm so glad you brought that up, Dan. Russell Wilson went 18 to 25 for 206 yards <laughs> and threw two touchdowns in that game, 123 uh, passer rating. He should have been MVP. Malcolm Smith had a touchdown return. I get that they crushed the Broncos and no one wants to hear about a Super Bowl from 2014, but appreciate you bringing it up because it was bugging me and I pulled up the pro football reference page there. To the linebacker point, I would not be comfortable either, but there's two really interesting interesting things going on here. The reason most of us would feel uncomfortable is because we're basing it off the information we have, which is just last year, right? These coaches are in the building. They should have a much better idea of where their players currently are at and how they are going to pr- progress. If they don't make any moves, it tells us that they are confident in the development and the future of Jacob Phillips and Mac Wilson. If they draft a guy like Zaven Collins, who both I know I've mentioned Doug's been all over at 26 that really ends the future or the long-term future of both Phillips and Mac Wilson in Cleveland right like I don't think that's a stretch so the linebacking room though it looks like it's being suppressed and ignored is actually at an interesting crossroads depending on what they do between now and when training camp opens. I, I don't want to spend the whole offseason talking about Mac Wilson again, but are, are we really <laughs> still talking yeah. about Mac Wilson? No, you know, I mean, I, I think you'd have to put Taki Taki in there. He's somebody that that I think is, he's showing some good upside potential. He graded out very, very highly. Uh, and, and I think that, you know, he does really well against the run. So if you mix in, you know, him and maybe some Malcolm Smith and Jacob Phillips, you know, I, I think you can get the job done, but I think they're going to add to the pile somehow. Somehow they're going to trade for a linebacker probably, or they're going to draft one. I, I don't think they're going to completely overlook the position. Uh, but once again, I, I, I don't think that, you know, they're going to put a $13 million linebacker on the field. Well, they got through free agency last offseason, right? And didn't have a left tackle. And it was like, uh, and it's like, oh, they're going to draft a left tackle in the first round for sure. So I, I think you can't guarantee that at 26, the way you could at 10, but I think a lot of us have thought about them drafting a linebacker in the first round. And if they don't do anything else in free agency with linebackers, I would go back to that and believe there's even a better chance of that. Malcolm Smith, uh, Mary Kay mentioned he was ranked 13th in, uh, in overall defense and he had a really good coverage grade. Taki Taki was 12th. Yeah. He had the second best grade against the run. Yes. How do we feel about Taki Taki and Malcolm Smith as your starting linebackers? Yeah, that's. I was looking at those rankings today, and I was like, two you know, top fifteen guys right there. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel you, like you got the run and you got the pass covered. Scott Most of got to watch the tape last season was Scott Patsko doing breakdowns of why the linebacker <laughs> play stunk. 
So I, I'm not letting you off. That was that was early in the season. That was early in the season. But yeah. it's it is different though when a couple years ago you're thinking about Taki Taki as a starting linebacker, and where now you're thinking about him as a guy that might play ten or fifteen snaps. Yeah, that that's exactly it. And I, I know Scott's kidding there because it is in his uh, fake offense and defense here. He has Malcolm Smith. Taki Taki, Donovan Peoples-Jones, and Richard Higgins all as his team captains <laughs> leading him out on the field for efficiency. It's the future. It's the future of the Browns right there. The Browns are stacked. To Mary Kay's point about patchwork there and what Dan's saying about an elevated role, I see how that can work. I just worry and probability would likely agree with me that eventually you're just going to guess wrong about, oh, is this a Taki Taki down or is this a Malcolm Smith down or is this where Mac Wilson misses a tackle and reads his whole wrong down? It, it Solidifying that spot, getting a guy you just can rely on is the obvious answer, much harder said than much harder to do than uh, executing it. But I just worry that eventually you guess wrong when you're putting players with just one specific skill set on the field. But there's another thing to consider here. If you have a Jadavian Clowney up there in front of him <laughs> and you have a, some better defensive tackle play, and I, I think they are expecting at least Andrew Billings uh, to come back and, uh, and, and nail that down, uh, you, you know, you might get, you know, Jadavian Clowney can set the edge. I mean, that, he, he can play the run. So, you know, that, that kind of alters the picture a little bit. It takes a little bit of pressure off what you're going to need your linebackers to be able to do. I, I also don't think we should talk about linebackers without talking about John Johnson. I, I think, I think whenever we talk about linebackers, we should not that he's going to be a linebacker, but I think he needs to be part of that discussion and how the linebackers get deployed, especially if he ends up being the guy that wears the green sticker here. So that'll be interesting. All right, Ellis, you teased this before we came on the air. So there's a lot of pressure here. You wanted to go last. Yep, and I'm glad I did because I'm bending this conversation just like I am going to bend the rules a little bit here. This isn't exactly a free agent conversation. It's like Miles Garrett bending the edge, man. Ellis is coming hard. I'm trying, Doug. You know me. Just, you know, warming up for God to watch the tape tomorrow. Here we go. This is all tied together to something we talked about a lot yesterday, the salary cap, the Browns future. And I'm bending the rules here because I know this is something that won't happen till the summer traditionally it doesn't get done till may june july before camp whatever whenever it happens but it's really all i can think of i you know it it i know it's wednesday today free agency technically just started today when the new league year hit i'm already kind of tired of this stuff there's not so much more that can happen i like to keep it moving and my mind is already drifting to a place that is where i think the biggest question marks lie with this team and it's where are these extensions going to take place? When, what are they going to look like? And what players will they prioritize? Nick Chubb, is he going to get the Derrick Henry treatment? Denzel Ward, is he an $18 million corner? Is he a $14 million corner? We just saw John Johnson take a $3, 4000000 million discount. Is that something Denzel Ward considers? Our last guy to watch the tape, deep diving Denzel Ward, we talked about how yeah, he may command 18, 20 million, but he probably is more of a 14 million guy. Where does that land? Wyatt Teller, again, tying back to how this is related to this free agency, the conversation we just wrapped up, Joe Tooney just reset the guard market at 16 million a year from the Kansas City Chiefs. 
Dan said that when it right when it happened. That's something he's keeping an eye on, and the Browns really have to keep in mind as well. And then, of course, the best for last, Baker Mayfield. I do not want to turn this into a Baker Mayfield extension conversation, but it is the totality of all these extensions, figuring out where they lie and how much of this Browns future could start becoming quite crystallized as we get into training camp. I can make the argument for why Baker Mayfield is a $24 million, $25 million quarterback. I can make the argument for why he's going to make $34, $35 million. For those four players, that range of outcome, the the variables that exist there, we're going to find out so much about this team by the time they play in week one. And I understand that free agency, there's still going to be a second wave. I understand there's still a draft to come, but when we're talking about lurking and we're talking about pick 26 and multiple third round picks, it's just not that exciting. A trade. Yeah, that that's exciting stuff. But I think the next big ticket item are these extensions and what it truly means for the Browns future. I have an idea, Ellis. You just gave me the best idea in the world for a round table for us. We can do a draft of the a Browns. Draft? Ext- <laughs> no way, a draft? We'll draft the Browns extensions in order of importance. <laughs> that's, that's, good. That's, that that's a whole nother podcast, though. That's yeah, we, we, we might just, just end this pod now. Oh, I know. That's what I mean. Not a, an hour into the pod, but we're oh, no, that's tomorrow's pod. content if we do that. I think it's interesting, though, because there are a lot of guys eligible for those extensions and the Browns have to make those decisions. And honestly, a lot of those things don't start happening until June or July. You know, you might you, every now and again, I like I think they did Joel when they did Joel Batonio's. It was like right when that league year started. Uh, and then they're like there was another one. But, you know, the big ones, the real big ones, the Miles Garrett's, the Mahomes, the, you know, Bosa's, uh, Joey Bosa's. Those things come, you know, Deshaun Watson, they tend to come later in the offseason, kind of into training camp and even during training camp. So I'm curious how aggressive the Browns will be if they might start on that stuff now or if, if it's going to be something that in July we're, you know, that's what we're going to be talking about. I think we'll still be talking about it in, into, into July. They will now know what their financial picture is because, I mean, I'm, I'm sure they probably – they may have gone after some people that, that they didn't get. They may have gone up to a certain point with some guys, you know, double digit millions and they didn't get them. So now they kind of know what they have to work with. It's, it's a good thing. Everybody in the Browns front office went to an Ivy league and has an econ degree. Cause like of all the years, this year just has to be crazy from, from a planning standpoint, because you had the cap crunch, you have all these extensions on the horizon and you, you know, you're trying to get better, or trying to to figure out how to prioritize everything. How much, you know, how much do these looming extensions factor into what they wanted to pay people? You know, what they wanted to pay an edge rusher, you know, during this free agency period, stuff like that. So it's I do not envy that position, and I'm I'm sure they're on top of it. Like I said, they're all very smart guys, but uh, man, it's this just seems like uh, like a perfect storm of brain ache <laughs> can i just ask can i just throw a piece of dynamite in here because i don't oh. know the answer to this if they like everybody that is eligible for an extension all their guys and they give them all like market value right that can they keep them all i don't think you could do all those this this offseason you can't do all that this offseason i don't think you can 
that that's because of all because of all the signing bonus money yeah and all of that so you could do a couple guys now but a couple guys that have to wait till next offseason yeah and Which, see that's where it gets interesting because yeah. you know then it's like do you want to, if you're going to pay the running back do you want to pay the running back now instead of pushing that down the road where you might have to pay for years when he's not as effective there's a lot of things they kind of have to consider here as, as they go through this that, that's I, exactly it I, I, I don't i don't know how to address this without turning this into another hour long <laughs> no i i know but i might miss <laughs> and I, but I think that's a good way to put it. Like they can't get them all done now. That's the fascination of it, of who they will prioritize. You know, a guy like Baker, you probably can wait on not like take his, where you think he is in the top 15 quarterback listing out of it. Dak Prescott broke his ankle, you know, dislocated it and still is going to play for $40 million a year. Like they're, your quarterback's going to get their money if your franchise deems it worthwhile but then it's like oh now the browns aren't paying baker you know if all three of these guys get paid and not baker now what does it kind of message does it send and i I know it gets dicey there when we're talking about feelings and emotions when we try to think more analytically and whatnot but these these are humans this is this is real stuff and big money things we're, we're dealing with here and like scott said there are just a zillion options and ways to go with this and it is mind boggling and I don't know which way they go, which is why I'm just craving the answers that I'm not going to get until late in the summer, like Dan said. Ellis, I, I think you just mentioned something really interesting, though. And it is sort of the, the personality of this, right? That we're not just dealing with robots. We're not dealing with fantasy football. Does the order matter? Like, is there stop, somebody? That, stop. There somebody That's the podcast. That's the future pod. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> That'll come in the draft pod, the extension draft pod. Right. (laughs) It's a great point, though, Dan. It's a great point. Well, it it was really Ellis's, but uh, I'll take it. Well, I will say, sneak preview of the draft pod, Andrew Luck didn't seem to get his feelings too hurt when they did his extension after his fourth season. It it was business. He knew they were going to do it, when they were going to do it, and he seemed to be emotionally okay with it i want to counter that so bad but we got we got to bail on this (laughs) (laughs) we got to get out of this this is giving me an idea though we all we deal with the cold hard facts of football on gotta watch the tape and i'm wondering if we could start a companion podcast called gotta feel the emotions (laughs) and get into the human side of football a little bit more I love it. I'm here for it. Yeah, right. <laughs> that'll be our, our next our next spinoff: the emotional side yep. of the NFL. And episode number one. <laughs> episode number one: Why the Browns hate Richard Higgins. <laughs> yeah. Don't say I should be a, the the host of the Got to Get Emotional pod. Let's not gotta get emotional. No. <laughs> I cry four times a day. I'm host of the emotions pod. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We're going to wrap it there before we go down any other roads. Uh, Ellis, Ellis tried to get us there, but now, now you've got lots of ideas about what's coming. We're going to do another round table uh, tomorrow to kind of put the wraps on free agency and try and figure out sort of uh, where, where everything is placed, I guess. So we'll, we'll have that coming tomorrow. Got to watch the tape as we mentioned a couple times, schedule a little bit different. That'll probably be coming on Monday. Uh, so get ready for that. If you're uh, looking for got to watch the tape this week. Okay, for uh, Mary Kay, Doug, Scott, and Alice, I'm Dan. Thanks for listening.
Okay, as promised, here is our segment where we spent some time talking about Rashard Higgins. Again, just a reminder, this was recorded probably about 20 minutes before Rashard Higgins agreed to a one-year deal to come back to the Browns. Mary Kay, why don't you give us uh, what you had in mind? We, we stole yours, so we got to go to your backup, right? Yeah, that's okay. So <laughs> is, is everybody doing defensive backs? Is that what is that what you guys were doing? To, that's what you were going to do, Doug? And you're going to be surprising us, Ellis, with something. So I have to come up with a backup plan here because I was going to be uh, talking about like a Brian T- Poole, K1 Williams type of a guy. So in the interest of not talking about edge rushers tonight, <laughs> which I could do, but I will resist the temptation to do that. I'm going to say this could happen by the, but something could happen with this by the time anybody's hearing this, but you know what? He's still out there. So why not just go sign Richard Higgins, go get Richard, make Baker Mayfield happy, give him his guy. By now, I think Richard perhaps isn't getting it's, – it's kind of a slow receiver market. It's not it, – it didn't go the way I think those guys thought it was going to go. Slow might be nice. It, it seems dead. <laughs> yeah. exactly. we're, we're starting to see some dominoes. Yeah, the, yeah sign. true. Kenny Galladay's taking some visits. Galladay's going on recruiting visits. He's yeah. like milking this. <laughs> yeah, so the, the dominoes will start to fall on the receivers. But, you know – it just, as I've said before, Richard is one of those players where this is where he's probably going to be at his best. This is where he's going to excel. This is where he's going to look, I think, probably better than he's going to look anywhere else. I, you know, somehow Baker's just got a thing for him on the field. They've got it going on. And why not give Baker back a little bit of his security blanket now that it's fairly evident that nobody's throwing six million dollars a year at him or at least right now not right now and if they were going to it probably would have happened by now so i say why not just pick up the phone wrap them up come up with some kind of a, a contract that that everybody can be happy with maybe incentive laden you're not gonna have to break the bank for him he wants to be here you wanted him back let's do it and get it over with why? Scott, Scott like any it. thoughts? <laughs> Come on, Scott. Do we have to go over this again? I missed your rant. I missed half of your rant because I was uh, uh, in the middle of breaking news. So give it, give it to us again. I don't know. I, I think Richard needs to like, you know, turn the page and end this relationship for, for his own well-being. Look, it makes a lot of sense. I think he's better than, I think right now he's a better option than Peoples Jones and Kadero Hodge just as a receiver. But for whatever reason, the Browns have, you know, time and again, tried to keep him off the field and find ways to put other people in front of him in the depth chart. So I don't know. I, man, Richard's got to do well by himself and go find another, another deal somewhere, another team. Well, what about you, know, you know where I would go, you know where I would go if I was Richard Higgins and it wasn't here. The Texans. <laughs> well, <laughs> sure. Of course. <laughs> How about the Bengals? They don't land Kenny Galladay. Mm. You got I actually pulled up their depth chart here. You got uh, Alden Tate, Tyler Boyd. You got T. Higgins. They play. They play a lot of wide receivers. Or the Steelers. Steelers. Steelers need a slot guy, and I think they tried Richard in the slot a little bit a couple years ago. I, I mean, the the case, Mary Kay, is that I've kind of sat down and thought, here are the teams that I think should sign Richard Higgins, and a lot of them are like 
teams that could use a pretty good receiver. Mm-hmm. And it kind of says, well, why don't the Browns want this guy? Like, would it surprise you if New England would have signed this guy? No, I don't think it would have. No, no. I, I think it's just a money thing. I, I think it's really just comes down to money. I think that he wants to, to get paid and they really just don't want to give him a multi-year contract. I think they want to give him a one-year deal. So he's going to exhaust all of his possibilities uh, and try to find a multi-year deal with some guaranteed money in it because you don't get too many chances to do that. But I think it, you know, it's just to the point now where it would be worth it to them to have him on the roster. Baker has a 126.1 rating or something like that when, when throwing to Richard. That's kind of unique. It's somebody that you know you can count on. You know, we still don't really know for sure how, how he and Odell are going to do together. And not that Richard in any way replaces an Odell, but it's somebody to throw the ball to who you know is going to be where you think he's supposed to be. And he's going to catch the ball for you most of the time. And I think he has, I think there's a little more in him than he, he has been able to show because it took the coaching staff a while. Coaches don't love him. He doesn't have those measurables. He doesn't have the numbers. He doesn't have the speed. You know, he just doesn't have the glitz about him. And so when you're game planning, you don't think, oh, well, we can create this mismatch because he's going to get behind this defensive back. You know what I mean? Like he just doesn't have uh, that unbelievable whatever, that one thing. But he does everything pretty damn well. And what he really does well is help Baker Mayfield move the chains and get into the end zone. He can get into the end zone, too. He's got a little bit of a nose for the end zone. I think there are even more touchdowns uh, to be had out of Richard. So I would just go ahead and do it. What did Terrell Pryor sign for in Washington? I don't, what was that, already seven, eight years ago, whatever that was? I don't know what the money was, but it was he, it was the same kind of thing where Terrell was like he needed to be with Hugh Jackson or he wasn't going to be much of anything in the pros. Like he was going to need somebody that only looked at him the way that Hugh Jackson looked at him. Sure. So I guess what I'm trying to say is like poor Richard just cannot catch a break in this wide receiver market. Like it feels like in any other given year, you would find one of 32 team or 31 teams to just slightly overpay, grab a guy that they think is, a, a, you know, inefficiency in the market, be happy about an, his number two upside, and this could all be taken care of for better or worse. But for the second offseason in a row, whether, I mean, really both pandemic-related, both completely influenced by an influx of rookie talent coming in in both the 2020 and the 2021 class, both these classes are sounding and shaping up to be historic Richard can't catch a break and it's just like he like you said Mary Kay he gets open he catches the football and he has a nose for the end zone I don't know what else you really want in number two but for whatever reason whether it's here or elsewhere no it just doesn't seem like anyone wants to you know get married to this guy long term so two things one is I don't want him going to an AFC North team because I don't want to read two (laughs) Richard Higgins revenge stories every year for the next three years (laughs) And the other thing is, if he's back and Kadero Hodge is back and Donovan Peoples-Jones is back, are we sure the Browns think he's the third best receiver on the team? Like, are we 100% sure of that at no. this point with the way no, he's they played? don't. So no. We know that clear last training camp. We know that. So uh, that, of course, because last year, Rashard Higgins played 23 snaps of offense in the first four games. So we know at the beginning of last year what they thought. What he did after Odell went out, 
if he's back with Hodge and Peoples Jones, he's the blank best receiver on this team in the eyes of the team is what third tied for third, fourth tied for fourth. Like, I don't like that has to factor in here, right? Definitely. Have we ever projected Rashad's numbers this year? If it was a 16 game sample size, like, you know how we do that with Baker, like his last eight or 10, he would have been a top, whatever quarterback, like, Rashard probably is a thousand yard receiver. Yeah, I, th- I think I did once. I, I, did, okay. I did it on pro football reference. I, I don't remember if we talked about it on pot or not, but it, I mean, the numbers were good projected to 16. And that is fascinating to me because to your point, Doug, like we're talking about a guy who would have been a thousand yard receiver, possibly probably not double digit touchdowns, but flirting with it. And then we're going to see Cordell Hodge playing over him. If everything comes back as is it, it it's, it's tough. I, it's, I can't really explain it. And do you think they want to play Peoples Jones more than he played last year? Or no? I think so. I, I think he, I think he deserves that. I think he deserves an opportunity to, to play more. Uh, I, I thought he did a, a tremendous job. And then what I does Richard think, deserve? <laughs> you know what? I, I, I think, I think there's a role for him. I think, I think what is it? What's the role? What if like they like Kaderil Hodge and Peoples Jones is going to play more and Odell's going to be back and healthy. Like what is Richard Higgins yeah. role? I don't, they and a team that loves to play twelve personnel too. I mean, they, they obviously they play three receivers a lot. But he, like he's that's, basically he's basically Terrence Mitchell of the offense. <laughs> really, he's he's the guy who gets playing time when other people get hurt, and he does well. Well, these two remember that your two star receivers will be. Are they going to be turning twenty nine this year? Or are they turning twenty? I think they mo- might both be turning twenty nine in in November if I'm not mistaken it's 29 okay so if it's 29 you know and they're both coming off of some pretty significant leg injuries and they have both demonstrated that they they have some injury history over the last couple of years once you start to get those leg injuries they sort of pile up on you a little bit usually so I think from that standpoint it wouldn't hurt to have a Richard around. I don't know. I mean, I don't think there's going to be enough footballs to go around for Richard and Donovan Peoples Jones and Kadero Hodge. I still think there's a place for him because of what, because of what he can do with, with Baker. So that, that's the problem though, is even when they played more 11 personnel in the playoffs, it was still only the top two receivers who got the targets. And I mean, I've talked about this on the pod. I don't need to go on about it forever. Like, Something's going to have to give here at some point with this receiver room because the targets next year are going to go your top two wide receivers, some combination of Kareem Hunt and two tight ends, and then your third receiver. So if you have Donovan Peoples-Jones and Rashard Higgins, Jarvis Landry, and Odell Beckham Jr., we're going to be sitting there in week three and we're going to be, I'm going, I'm going to be doing the pregame chat with our texters and I'm going to get 50 texters asking me, why isn't Donovan Peoples-Jones playing more? Or why aren't they throwing the ball to Rashard Higgins? Mary Kay, you're going to get, hey, Mary Kay's every week. Why isn't Rashard Higgins getting the ball more? There aren't a lot of targets if you have a bunch of receivers that want the football. And Rashard Higgins, as much as he wants to be in Cleveland, won't want to be in Cleveland if he's not getting the football. Scott, tell me this real quick. How many touchdowns per reception for Rashard last year? Is it easy for you to pull that up pretty quickly? I think it probably would be, right? Oh, geez. I don't have it in front of me. I, okay. I, bet, it, I bet his career 
touch catch to touchdown ratio is pretty nice. It is. It it is. There's just like he catches touchdown pass. I mean, he, he caught like three balls in 2019 being in the doghouse, and one of them was that the Buffalo game that won won the game for him. He dreamt and about it. Remember? There's a premium <laughs> on scoring the football. There is a premium on being able to score the football. There's a little bit of a knack to it. I mean, I don't totally know. Agree. Just don't throw it to him one yard short and have him dive for it. Oh, <laughs> he's got. He's got 11 career touchdowns and 120 career receptions. The thing about Richard is he's super efficient. Like I wrote about a month ago, I wrote a story with a headline, how Richard Higgins and Donovan Peoples-Jones are yeah. two of the NFL's best wide receivers. That, that caught people's attentions. But the, basically the gist of that was <laughs> how efficient they are. Like if it's catchable, Richard Higgins catches it. And he gets a lot of first downs. Like those two things together make nice. him – really uh, highly ranked in DVOA. But the thing is, Donovan Peoples-Jones is the same way. He wasn't as highly ranked only because he didn't have enough targets to qualify. But among those like sub 50 target guys, I think he was third. So it's basically the same guy. You know, they, they want, they have Donovan Peoples-Jones doing the things that Richard Higgins would have been doing. So again, it goes back to the original question is like, what? Who's, who's the fourth guy here? It's got to be one or the other. It can't be both of them. The, the thing I think that is, it makes the most sense that anybody has said is what Mary Kay said about with Odell and Jarvis. I mean, we've talked about hedging on Grant Delpit and hedging on Greedy Williams. If you tell me that the number one reason that they should bring back Rashard Higgins is to hedge on Odell and Jarvis, and that if something happens to either of them, now all of a sudden Rashard Higgins is 10 times as valuable as, as opposed to when they're healthy – that I'll buy the where he fits. If Odell and Jarvis are healthy, I have no idea what the answer to that question is, but if you're trying to win a super bowl and by the way, everybody listening realizes this, right? Every conversation we're having right now is because the Browns are trying to win the super bowl this year. So if you're trying to win the super bowl this year and you can get some medium priced receiver insurance in a guy that knows the system and that everybody loves, that I think is a winning argument for sure. Yeah, I, I want the record to show what I think Richard's role should be in this offense. I, I truly think the best, if things stay status quo, we're talking about Odell, Jarvis, Donovan Peoples-Jones, Kadero Hodge, Higgins. I think the best form of this offense is when there's two receivers on the field. One of them is Odell or Jarvis, depending what you're doing. Obviously, if it's you're, if you need Odell on the field, you need Odell on the field. And the number two guy, I think, should be Richard Higgins. And then in 11, it's Jarvis, Odell, Higgins, Jarvis in the slot. I, they already proved that they're not interested in that unless, you know, after Richard's emergence, Odell goes down. Those are obviously correlated events. And then now they're seeing what I'm seeing, but I don't really believe that. But I do think there's something to having Higgins out there, prove production. And as soon as the injury happened to Odell, I said, look, I don't know if – the same body type receivers that Jarvis and Odell are, are the best for Baker Mayfield to be on the field at the same time. Split their time in 12 and 11 have all three of them out there, but I don't think it's headed that way anyway. That's like a $30 million split in a spot, man. And I, I've got to say Jarvis and Odell might want to win, but Jarvis and Odell want to be on the field. I agree with all that. I <laughs> look, I know it's not happening. I'm just, I want the record to show that I think that is the best version of this offense based on their skill set And, the money is one thing too, but the best football teams don't think about contracts when they're making on the field football decisions. They got to be separate at some point. And 
it's not usually how it plays out, but in my mind, that is how it should if this room comes back as is. Well, let's let's call it a, a little bit of a hedge then, because I do think, you know, it would be a lot to ask for two 20, most, for most of this, for at least half the season, two 29-year-old receivers coming off some fairly significant injuries to play every single game, every single snap, every single rep. And you could do worse than, than re-signing Richard Higgins, who, by the way, Baker really likes to throw the ball to. 